Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the director of events and creative strategy at Playbill Magazine. It's Len Rondino, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, Len. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. It's a little stormy outside, but other than that, I'm feeling pretty good. And you have... (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so excited. You've come here to talk about. Listen, I went through a lot of choices, a lot of choices before I arrived at this one. But I I adore this album. I'm not going to lie. I adore this album. This one specifically. Um, we are going to talk about the American premiere recording or the Los Angeles recording of Sunset Boulevard. Sure, I came out here to make my name. Wanted my pool, my dose of fame. Wanted my parking space at Warner's. But after a year of one-room hell, a Murphy bed, a rancid smell, wallpaper peeling at the corners. Sunset Boulevard, twisting boulevard, secretive and rich, a little scary. Sunset Boulevard, tempting boulevard, waiting there to swallow the unwary. Starring the one and only Glenn Close. Yes, controversially possibly starring the one and only Glenn Close. We will we will get into it. But before we get into that, I will ask, how did Sunset Boulevard come into your life? So it actually came into my life much later than most. I knew Sunset Boulevard obviously was a movie and then the musical, but I wasn't into musicals in this time period mm. in in the early to mid 90s. I wasn't um, going to see Broadway very much. Um, and when I was, it was like few and far between. I would take the bus from Pennsylvania where I grew up with my mom and we'd pick a show. So it was on my radar but it just wasn't one of those shows that was super familiar mm-hmm. to me or that I was, you know, drawn to. Um, so I came into it later. Um, my husband uh, introduced me to the show. My husband introduces me to a lot of new musicals that I knew nothing about. <laughs> He's very good at it. Yeah. Um, the one and only Robbie Roselle. Right. Case, those that don't know. Um, and I, I fell in love with the score. And it was, oh God, it must be probably at least eight years ago. We were down in Washington, D.C. over the week between Christmas and New Year's. And we were staying there through New Year's. And the Signature Theater in Sherlington was Ah. doing a production of Sunset Boulevard. Yes, they were. Starring Florence Lisi. And we went to see it. Um, and then we went back the next day and we saw it again because it was so good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. It was like the stripped down version. So that was my first experience seeing the show live. But I just had fallen in love with the score and kind of just reading online and and looking at all the photos uh, and just kind of imagining it, mm-hmm. which is quite easy to do with this album, actually. Yes, that's true. It is a, it is a comprehensive recording of the show quite comprehensive Mm -hmm. uh is is that a good thing i don't know we'll talk about it but uh 
It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's 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 not a well. It's one of those. Well, anyway, so I saw this show. I saw this show on Broadway. Here's my playbill, 1993, <gasps> with Betty Buckley mm. in the in the lead role. Um, oh yes, and uh, uh, Alice Ripley and George Hearn, and a. <laughs> but in in here are so many little. You can barely see it, but like oh, placement yes. tickets. Mm-hmm. It, um, mm-hmm. Including my, my funny story about this, uh, about uh, this show is uh, Alan Campbell, who plays Joe Gillis and originated the role of Joe Gillis on in the in the L.A. recording and, and on Broadway, um, was out the day I, I saw it, which was, you know, is it, what it is. And that was fine. And, and, and then saw the show and really liked it. And then years later here in D.C., Alan Campbell was fronting the national tour of Contact. And oh, yes. I went to see it. And again, he was out the day I went to see it, which was only weird because I went for my college newspaper and it was press day. It was super weird that he wasn't in that's that very day. weird. Um, but so I'm just avoiding seen, you. I apparently well, that's the thing. I've seen two shows with him in it and I've never seen him. I've never seen him perform. Uh, he's very pretty good on the on the album. It's probably a good idea. You know, this is a funny show, I think, because I think a lot of people know of the show but they may not know mm-hmm. what the story is of sunset boulevard do you think you could tell the people a short version of the story of sunset boulevard a short version of story okay i'll try to be as short as possible to not come uh take up too much time here so basically <laughs> um there is a former silent movie star uh named norma desmond and she is living uh with her, her manservant, I guess you could say, Max. In this, in that is this. the perfect word for Man, what he is. Yes. Manservant. No. Yes. Um, we found out more about him in, but I won't go into detail. Yet. Right. Um, uh, on Sunset Boulevard. And she ends up basically being thrown into a situation by a gentleman named Joe Gillis, who kind of basically ends up on her doorstep because he's, he's, leaving the studio and there's a car chase and it's a whole thing, but we'll get into the car chase later. because that's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and ends up at her mansion and she mistakes him for somebody else. Um, they start talking. She explains that she, you know, wants to get back into film and she's written the script and um, she kind of brings him on as a scriptwriter um, slash contains him in her mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kept man semi against his will yes yeah. kept man yes. more or less yeah um and you know there's a ongoing love triangle situation there there's a woman um uh betty schaefer that's also involved in the story and uh, their relationship between betty and and joe kind of weaves in with norma and her craziness um and and it ends up ending with norma killing joe um at the mansion and then really losing it at the end <laughs> yes having a complete psychotic break uh yes her, her very there's fragile. a lot of layers to this to this show there's a lot of um characters that kind of reveal themselves as it goes along so there's there's quite a bit to it there is there, there's a lot of i mean i, I assume you've seen the film since the yes. uh, yeah mm-hmm. I mean I love the a, film. oh the film's amazing yeah incredibly well regarded and incredibly well written and mm-hmm. 
I think one of the smartest things they did when they adapted it is they did not really change the screenplay. They let, they just, you know, yes. they use the screenplay as a very, very like firm foundation for the story. Extremely and, smart. And it is because it, like you say, there's a lot of interesting character stuff that the screenplay brings up uh, and of people. Yeah. I mean, of, of, of Hollywood stuff that I think has since become almost cliche, but certainly at the time was, I think, was new in, in the sort of like mm-hmm. all about Eve era of you know people yes. not being who they say they are or pretending to uh-huh. be something else or you know yeah. literally they're... going to los angeles to escape themselves and yes. turn into other people yes yeah. and and how that even the nice people get kind of can get caught in these weird circumstances mm-hmm. like you say is the the love triangle between betty and and uh, and joe because betty's married mm-hmm. to joe's best friend in this is a sort yes. of you know very typical you know movie love triangle uh but the musical really takes it. It's, it. This musical had a tortured path to Broadway. I don't know if you're how yes. much of that you're aware of. Uh, um, well, it, it's very interesting how I really became aware of that. I, I knew what had happened because I had read about it. Mm-hmm. And then I, we were on a road trip, my husband and I somewhere. And we have the Patti LuPone autobiography, a memoir oh, about Patti LuPone. Yes. And it's a great audiobook. It's a great, I highly recommend. And the the sunset chapters in that audiobook yeah. are just everything that you could ever want them to be. She leaves no stone unturned. Oh all the bodies, gosh. she knows where they're all buried. Um, oh my gosh. Yes, it's quite, it's quite interesting. It is, it is so funny that she has done two premieres in London mm-hmm. and not transferred that role to Broadway, two iconic roles. I mean, she did, she did Fontaine. She did Fontaine. A lot of people forget. Now, yeah. Well, I think with Fontaine, she explained that I think she chose not to come over with it in a way. At least that's what mm. she said because gonna... she she was so um, passionate about that specific company mm. and that specific moment uh, that she, for whatever reason, did not move with the show. Now, I. I forget the exact timing of Les Mis. Do you, do you know offhand? Do you I mean, it was 86, 87 when it transferred. 86, yeah. 87. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know, but um, obviously, you know, Sunset didn't happen for. Well, that's a whole other reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, what does she give as the reason why that she didn't transfer with it? With, with Sunset Boulevard? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she gives the reason that. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber was mounting an American production in Los Angeles mm-hmm. with Glenn Close. And I guess she assumed um, that, okay, you know, they're, they're doing this production, but she was promised mm. the transfer to Broadway herself. Okay. So I think, I think in, on one side, she's like, okay, I'm still good. I'm still going to come over with this and it's going to be mine. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if, Andrew liked Glenn's performance better or um, people just thought that Glenn was a better fit because she was Hollywood already in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just a a gradual choice. Uh, But yeah, that's the reason she gives. And then, you know, they, they obviously chose Glenn and 
she sued Lloyd Webber and got a swimming right. pool. And got a swimming pool out of it, right. <laughs> Famously got the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Swimming Pool, as she yes. calls it. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's such a... I, I'm always of slightly two minds about Patti LaPone in roles like this because she's... I mean, she's she's a star, obviously, and, and none of that need, need be questioned. But one thing she doesn't really do is fragility. There's the her. She just doesn't give off the sort of air of somebody who is vulnerable yes. in any way. I have to agree. Yes. Yeah. There, she's she um, has too much strength. Um, mm. And I, I have to agree with you. There has to be that level of vulnerability that is not always there. And that's yeah. what I think Glenn Close really brings is both Glenn Close has both the sort of quivers in her mm-hmm. or both arrows in her quiver of, of the yeah. extreme strength. Cause the character is very, very strong. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's it. You know, it's built on, it's, it's a castle built on sand. Like it really, you know, Definitely. and, and, it, and the slightest little thing can shake it com- yes. <laughs> completely down. There, isn't it strange. It's very reminiscent of one of her most famous film roles in fatal attraction ah yes you know? yes Remember, like the, yeah the slightest thing uh, yep. for her character in that movie um i mean you never know what was gonna happen so <laughs> it's very she probably tapped into that quite a bit well which is the thing i mean but norma desmond is such a funny role because gloria swanson who does it in the film and is amazing in in the movie oh, yes. and should have won an oscar for it in in mm-hmm. my opinion um it was it was amazing and then tried to adapt the movie to a musical herself uh which a musical called boulevard exclamation point which is you know <laughs> of all the titles and i'll play a track from it here because it's something folks you don't need me i'm a writer indeed you are writing words 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 well let me tell you you've made a rope of words and strangled this business they once had the eyes of the world, but no, that just wouldn't do. But the eyes alone are not enough, if you don't have the world's ears, too. They all agreed the talk's a thing they could not do without. So they opened up their big mouths, and look what came out. But you've got to have talk, talk, talk. Chatter, chatter, chatter. Talk, talk, talk. Shrill, incessant patter, loud, distracting, strident, and rough. But pantomime acting isn't enough. No. No, talk, talk, talk. This is what the choice is. Talk, talk, talk. With sound effects and voices. They cry and shriek, they squeak and they squawk, and they talk, talk, talk. She sort of became norma desmond-esque about the role of norma desmond yeah later in her career and Mm -hmm. it is one of those bizarre kind of parallelisms of the role taking you know going forward into 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 real life and then you know that musical never took off much in the same way that the salome screenplay that norma desmond has written for herself (laughs) never took off uh and not and that's unfair because obviously Norma's screenplay for Salome is a you know silent film. She's trying to revive silent mm-hmm. films, which is just never going to happen. And it's 
I mean, I think the line in both the play and in both the musical and the movie is that, you know, she says it's a very important screenplay and Joe says it looks like six very important screenplays. I mean, it's like important screenplays. Yep. It's, it's like that big. <laughs> uh, it's like a foot. It's like a foot thick. And so, you know, th- she is clearly delusional in, in her aspiration. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Gloria Swanson was with her with her musical. Um, but. It, it, then you know it was it was going to be like, Sondheim was going to work on it in the '60s and then didn't. Uh, oh, I didn't like, realize that. Yeah, he 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 had it was going to work on it with Bert Shevlov and then he gave up on it. The rumor is because Billy Wilder told him it had to be an opera and he stopped. That's the sort of the, the lore around it. Um, and then how Prince had the rights, he went back to Sondheim for it. Sondheim didn't want to do it, and then it ends up with Andrew Lloyd Webber without Hal Prince. I don't know if they sold the right or how that worked, but Hal Prince was not involved wow. in this production. So it took a long circuitous route to get even yeah. written in the first place. Um, and what we end up with is something that I'm, I, I am, I'm very much of two minds about, I'll be honest, because there's moments of it, which are great. I mean, unabashedly mm-hmm. great. Um, I think from the jump, I mean, I think let's have lunch is just one of my favorite, like opening numbers of any musical ever. I really, really love let's have lunch. I completely agree with you because it sets up that Hollywood energy, Mm -hmm. you know, working in the the studio system. um, Cause you imagine, I mean, you probably imagine that's what it's like even today, but back then, like, you know, just people kind of hustling and moving Mm -hmm. about, but, Let's have lunch and, and see what else we can cook up together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hi there, Myron. How's it hanging? I got a date with Sheldrake. Shooting our western down at Fox. How can you work with Daryl? We should talk. Gotta run. Let's have lunch. Hi, Mr. Gillis. You look great. I'm up for an audition. Sheldrake is driving me insane. Don't forget me when you're cast. We should talk. Gotta Let's have lunch. Morning, Joanna. Hi there, Myron. Who are you meeting? You look great. Shell drink, but do I need I've it? I've spent the last month fasting in my second western down at Fox. I'd really love to Don't read it. Don't forget me when you're catching. We should talk. We should gotta run. Gotta run. Let's have lunch. And I also think that um, a lot of that is in specific characters. Mm. Um, d- just some characters are are more interesting, and their songs are more interesting than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that, and I hope I didn't get in trouble for saying this, but like I, I sometimes skip a little bit of of the Betty and Joe stuff. Oh, it yeah. just seems to to go on a little too long. Yes, <laughs> um, you know, we're just hovering a little bit too much. Um, and stuff and, and and sometimes the same thing with max i i find um max has you know these soaring you know deep uh, um bass numbers oh and- yeah Men were 
corsage or a few strands of her. And, uh, not, not all the time. <laughs> like, we get it. We get it. We now. get it. We get it, George. <laughs> we get it, George Hearn. You're very good. We get it. We, we get it. Yeah, yes. I would I would a thousand percent agree. I think that it because the, the musical amplifies the Betty Schaefer relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think in in the film, it is definitely going on. He's working on a rewrite of of the screenplay. You know, it is this funny yes. thing in, in the story. He is working on two screenplays with two women simultaneously. That's basically the love triangle. I mean, he is yes. ostensibly sleeping with Norma, but the relationship is really in the fact that he's writing screenplays with these two women at the same time. And right. he's often sneaking out to finish this rewrite of blind windows. I think is what it's called with Betty mm-hmm. in the movie. It's a, the scenes are a lot shorter. They're just writing a lot. There's a lot more of just them working. And that's where you can see the relationship blossoming, but in the musical, they keep giving them songs to sing. And yes that puts so much weight on the relationship that I don't think mm-hmm. it really can support because Norma and Joe's relationship is fascinating. Every time they are on stage together, you're just like this, all this, this mm-hmm. all the time. This is all I want. Cause she's nuts. And it's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful to watch. It yeah. is. It's so you're much like, fun. What is going to happen now? Like, what is she going to come up with now? Yes. And I mean, from the fact that we, we join her, we meet her getting ready to do a funeral for her monkey, which is just like, man, yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's where it starts. I don't know. Like, yes. like, we don't build to that at all. Where, where do you go where from you go having a monkey funeral? I mean, I guess the answer is this show, like, this is what it is. You know, she really, you know, she goes to some places and, and, and it's just absolutely, it really, the musical encapsulates better the the famous line from the movie. And it's in the musical too, which is, you know, I am big. It's the pictures that got small. This musical Mm -hmm. really has that energy all the way through. We're like, I get it. Yeah, you're right. You, you are huge. You're like, and that is. And it is electrifying. I mean, in, in the right performer's hands, it is an electrifying thing to watch this role. Uh, but I want to stick with the car chase for a second and ask you why you love the car chase so much. Listen, I love the car chase. And I I think it's a bizarre reason, but I, I'm a big movie person and I love mm-hmm. movie soundtracks and movie scores. And I find that when a movie has a really specific score that drives action, Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I did not see the original production. So I was only visualizing it in my mind as I was listening to this album. And my husband was describing it to me that they showed the film. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, they like would put a light on, you know, the two guys, um, you know, chasing Joe, uh, you know, behind like a steering wheel and stuff. And it would like cut to each of them. And I just find that music, it's very soaring. It's very exciting. It felt very, very old Hollywood. Mm. And it, it just kind of, I, I don't know, I, I just felt that it was such an important moment for the score. And I, I just really love it because I love, I love moments in movies like that. So it did the same thing for me. I had the same feeling.
very interesting in the, uh, well, I guess it's now 2017 revival that happened with Glenn at the Palace. Mm. Uh, did you see that production? I did not see that production, no. Okay. Um, the car chase, I did. I saw it twice because I was like, I'm seeing Glenn in this role. <laughs> it's happening. And I was yeah. so excited. Um, and the car chase there, they did it differently. Um, I think they still showed the the film and stuff, but they didn't have people behind, like stationary behind like a fake car or something. Mm-hmm. It was two men um, holding basically this apparatus and it had like two headlights on it. And they were running around the stage with this apparatus and the headlights would like shine in the audience. It was very bizarre, but I don't know. It still worked for me. I was still excited more than anything by the music. (laughs) I mean, well, yeah, the music for that section is great. I never I never even thought of it that way because I I encountered this show for the first time on stage. It's one of the few shows that I ever just like saw without having heard it first. And it. I remember really thinking like, gosh, this scene is weird. Like it's weird to do a car yeah. chase on stage. It's just yes. one of those. And like, um, it's this is not that you can't do cars on stage. Obviously like in the history of, of, of musical theater I've, on the town has an excellent car sequence in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it, but it, it is that funny thing of like, there needs to be a car chase because he needs to flee from Paramount Studios up to Sunset Boulevard to the mansion. We have to get there. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. important how he gets there for the plot that his car is part of, like, because it's the driving force of the first part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it is still, like, I, I remember them being in, like, these little boxes that were kind yeah. of moving, and there, you know, there was projections behind, and really just sitting there being like, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think the music is really good for that section, but it is mm-hmm. just, I can't escape that really. We're sitting in the audience being like, this is weird. Like, this is just like, like you're, I kind of would have preferred people physically chasing each other around with headlights, I think. Just, <laughs> well, just <laughs> to be like, sense. let's just lean into it. Like, what are we doing here? It's sure. a little, like, don't try to make it look real. That that wouldn't, that doesn't work yeah. so well. And it's so odd yeah. that it happens so close to the beginning and it never happens again. There's never a sequence like that again. In, in True. The, mm-hmm. um, the other weird thing I remember from the original Broadway production is the set getting a round of applause, which I still don't know how I feel oh. about. Like the set, when the house, I should say the the house getting in the interior of the house, because like before that, everything was very stripped down. There was very, you know, desks and projections and things being rolled in and out. And then this set like descended in the Minskoff, like from behind something and like landed in front of everybody and got a huge round of applause. And I do wow. remember being like, I mean, it was gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. But like, hmm, I don't know that we should like applauding the set this early again in the show. <laughs> feels a little yeah, bit. I've- it's a bit much. I mean, I've never yeah. yet heard that happening before. The only other but, time it's happened to I me mean, was... If, if you're going to fly in a house, yes, I, I guess, yeah, that would be pretty impressive. It, it, and that, <laughs> we didn't, and it was a magic trick. I mean, it was one of those things of like, I didn't, there, there's not enough room back there for this. So I don't know how you like store it or how it collapses. Like, it's impressive. <laughs> but like, I do, the only other time that happened when I've, when I've been in a show is the very first time I saw Les Mis which was on tour, I think the second national tour, um, when the barricade is created, when the set like rises up, twists and comes together. And it, but it wasn't, it was, there was an audible gasp from the audience, like around me, like as people, you know, this is the the early nineties, nobody Mm -hmm. had seen film of this. I'm sure people have been told about it possibly, but like the audience on the whole really didn't expect that. And like, 
it got a gasp and a, and a, and a round of applause. This just got like, it was like a star entrance applause. It really was. It was really just like, oh, yes. The set. Like the way you'd applaud, like think, something you'd heard about or seen about, like, oh, the set. You got to see this thing. Um, Definitely. So in the first act, I mean, I'm assuming I wasn't there, but like there's two entrance applauses like right yeah. after each other. Yes. The first for the house. Well, and, and then, then there were Glenn. three. And because George Hearn got one because he had won his Tony by that point. So George Hearn oh, sure. got got an of applause course, yes. when he came on, which was kind of a rolling, almost recognition applause because he looks so weird in that garb. He looks like um, he looks like Uncle Fester a little bit. And then yeah. so like, I don't think <laughs> I all the audience figured out who he was exactly. And then Glenn Close came on and she got a huge round of applause, which is one of the few moments where like, I don't know how you feel about applause breaks for entrances but like mm-hmm. this is one of the few shows where i think it's almost essential that you get yes. like it's so appropriate that whoever's playing norma desmond gets a big round of applause uh yeah it just suits the I character mean, so well if i was playing norma and i did not get entrance <laughs> applause there would be <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be a problem i would light the set on fire <laughs> And it'll burn. It's really that's it'll really, burn. It'll burn. Yeah. It'll, that, that, that material will, will go up. So you said that this is not, when this show came out, you were not really into musicals, which I will say I find a little surprising. Um, uh, what were you into in the early is. 90s? Because you were a performer, um, correct? Yes. Your, your, your um, I, I did not start performing, though, until I was in high school. Mm. So that was the late 90s. So uh, when this show came out, I was uh, 12. Okay. So it wasn't really, um, like I said, on my radar. We, we didn't go into New York City, even though it was very accessible from where I lived. I grew up in the Poconos. So oh, it was okay. literally a two-hour bus ride mm-hmm. into the city. Um, and we go in, but we, we generally look for things that uh, – would either be good for my mother and I, or if my father was with us, we had to find something that he wasn't going to fall asleep during. So <laughs> that was always a it's fair. Or we, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, that this wasn't his jam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I really didn't get into going to see Broadway musicals until until the late nineties, early two thousands. Believe what, it or not, what got you into yeah. performing in high school? Um. It's something that I had always wanted to do. Um, mm. It was always like, you know, I think that would be really fun to to be a part of. And then actually my mother uh, got involved in community theater and she was in a production of The Music Man. Uh, she was one of the Pickle, Pickle Little Ladies mm-hmm. and, you know, various others. And she had so much fun doing The Music Man. So then the next year, that same community theater did MAME. Mm. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. all right. There's a lot of people in MAME. I could be in the chorus of MAME, even if I you know, screwed up, like no one's going to notice. So I did, and I went in, and yes, I was in the chorus of MAME. Um, I had my little red jacket and everything. It was a lot of fun. My mother was in that production with me. She played Gooch. Oh, wow. And Yes, yeah, she she loved playing Gooch, and she was she was a riot. My mom, she's a ham man. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> that was the perfect role for her. She was living. Um, 
so yeah, that kind of that kind of got me started. And then I did Damn Yankees in high school, and I I fell in love with it, and I I decided to pursue that in college, and then afterwards for a couple of years. So you did go to college for for performing. I did. Yes, that was one of my majors. Oh, what were some of the others? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, people always make fun. You know, you have to have a backup plan if you're going to school to be an right. actor. Um, well, I I wish I either had a better advisor or I had made a better choice in my second major because you really shouldn't major or minor in things that you truly love. Like I loved I loved performing and I was mm-hmm. happy that I chose that. But if I was going to pick a companion piece, it should have been something um, more useful than anthropology, which was my other major. Wow. Anthropology. Yes. yes. Um, wow. So- <laughs> I thought you were going to, I mean, hang on. I'm going to need a second, Len. I thought, <laughs> I honestly thought, because well, you're uh, not only because of, of what you do now and, and, and that I know you, but like, yeah. I thought you were going to say like, design or you know art history even any of those See? but like See? anthropology where were you where were you when i needed this well advice? no those aren't helpful either i'm not so like it's not <laughs> listen listen let's let's be real for a second okay there's only like five useful college majors and i put that in like serious quotes like you've got business engineering yes. architecture uh-huh. I'm out like that. That's really, I'm sure there's more, but like, you know what I mean? Like, and then there's divisions within those. Everything else is an academic pursuit. And speaking Mm -hmm. as someone who makes part of his living as an academic, thank you. But (laughs) it isn't like, like the idea of the useful major is always so hilarious to me because it is like, you know, when I, when I went into college, which is around the time you went into college, like journalism was considered a useful major. And Yes. It yes. turned out very much not to be specifically for that group of people. <laughs> <laughs> specifically for the people I was in school with who were journalism majors who, you know, yeah. ended up great. I mean, some of them stuck with it, but like, man, did journalism change in the early 2000s? It did a tiny Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Just a teeny Absolutely. Bit. Um, so yeah, use what is a useful man? But an- why anthropology? Oh, wow. This is all we're going to talk about now. Why anthropology, anthropology? again? Yeah, again, it was, I, I was introduced to a couple of courses. I didn't go in there right away with an anthropology major. Sure. I added that. Um, so I had taken a couple of courses, intro courses. We did uh, courses on studying primates. And there were some weird classes like medical anthropology and a lot of pseudoscience and and case studies. And I just found it all so fascinating and i i just thought i i would love to add this um because it they kind of worked as a companion piece because when you're in theater you're studying people and you're just translating that on stage or in front of a camera Mm -hmm. and when you're doing anthropology you are again studying a group of people analyzing them a subset of people um Hmm. to get data um, so they kind of, they went together. It made sense. It's just that um, I, I couldn't do a whole lot with it post-grad. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, well, it is one yeah. of the, there's so many majors that uh, require a, um, 
doctorate. Uh, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> at least grad school before you can yes. get into to the uh, to the real where the real money is in anthropology. Obviously, is, exactly. Is, you know, yeah, that's, that's where the money is. Wow, anthropology. Yeah. Okay, anthropology. That's, yeah, yeah. That's a- yeah. Had I um, had I had a different advisor, you know, people, uh, it would have been very beneficial for me to go into marketing Mm -hmm. um, because that also would have been very useful as an actor. You have to know how to market yourself. Like that would have been a smart move, some type of business um, or I advertising, which I ended up in anyway. So yeah. um, You never know. So then you came to New York to, to pursue your, your acting career. Is that where, is that how you wound up there? I, I actually didn't. I, oh. I did not come here to pursue my acting career. It was, um, I was pursuing it off and on post college mm-hmm. uh, for a few years. Uh, and then life happens, you know, I had mm-hmm. some family stuff that went on and, you know, I had some things that I had to take care of personally. So it unfortunately just got pushed to the back burner mm-hmm. for me. And I could not dedicate the time that was required mm. to pursue mm-hmm. that. Sure. So I, I did, I did theater here and there. Um, I, I did some Shakespeare, I did some musical um, and, and things, but it, it never turned into anything full time. I just wasn't able to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I didn't move to the city. I've only been here. It's going on eight years believe it or not. Oh, living really? In New York. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. What brought yeah. you to New York? Yeah. Um, it was, it was basically a now or never decision for my husband and I, hmm. uh, you know, we were both living in Pennsylvania. We both had jobs that we were not happy at and we needed a change. And, you know, Robbie, he wasn't getting any younger. I wasn't getting any younger. And we were like, we're, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. I had money saved mm-hmm. and, and we made it happen. We found a great apartment in Astoria, our first apartment. I missed that apartment. It was cute. Uh, and, and yeah, I landed, I landed at Playbill and, and that's where I've been. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So you've been yeah. at Playbill the whole time you've been in New York. I have, I've been at Playbill the entire time. I I've, I've also had quite the journey at Playbill Oh, uh, because Prior to getting the job at Playbill, I had applied for so many jobs. I mean, Mm. so many different jobs and office managers. And I applied for healthcare jobs, which is what I was doing in Pennsylvania before we moved uh, to the city. And I I just could not get anywhere. You know, Mm. I got called in for second round interviews and then that would just fizzle. I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen. What am I going to do? And then... Robbie, who started working at Playbill first, mm-hmm. he got a job before I did, and he was their graphic designer. He said, listen, our receptionist just gave their notice. It's something. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll take it. Sure. <laughs> I said, I'll apply. Send yeah. it the link, and I applied. Um, we didn't tell them who I was when mm-hmm. I went in for the interview and stuff. And I did, and I went in, and I interviewed, and I got the job, and I gave notice at my my Pennsylvania job and I I started as a receptionist believe it or not that was wow. 2014 yeah wow and and I yeah and uh, that kind of got my my foot in the door there 
Mm-hmm. And I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. You know, everybody thinks Playbill is a certain type of thing because mm-hmm. they only know it from the outside. You know, you go to the theater, you get your Playbill, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I didn't know anything about publishing a magazine. I didn't know anything about the internal workings of selling advertising, which is the only reason Playbill is still around because we mm-hmm. sell advertising. Um, and it was a crash course the, the first year and a half that I was the receptionist. And then opportunity came around and I got promoted. I was the assistant for the sales team uh, at Playbill. And I did that for, God, like five, five or so years. I, I was part of the sales team and I learned even more doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I slowly integrated into doing events, which is, is happily what I do now. So, See, I'd imagine coming to a place like Playbill with, theatrical knowledge but not like a deep well of fandom would actually be very yes. helpful would it's be, it's preferred yeah i would think so yes. very <laughs> much so because you you would be naturally you wouldn't be surprised i was going to say you might be surprised whenever we advertise positions at playbill you should see the people oh, that we I'm get sure. that apply oh my god because they're all they're all theater fans. Right. Oh my God. I, I love theater. I love Dear Evan Hansen. I, I've seen it 20 times and I'm like, that's great, but I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, so it's actually a breath of fresh air when people apply to Playbill and they're like, yeah, I like theater. You know, we go every now and then and stuff, but like these are, you know, um, strong points about me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm interested. Now I'm interested because you're not here just to say that you work at Playbill. Right. And it is, yeah. I mean, it is a magazine. I think the thing that gets yes. forgotten by, by people is. is that it is it a magazine, like if, which yeah. you can subscribe to, um, unless I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you could still subscribe to it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, one of the funny things about, I love about having kept all these Playbills that I have from, from the shows I've seen is to go back and read the articles about yes. what's going on in the feet, you know what I mean? Because it's it's they're touting, you know, it, it's a lot. Some of it's that fun thing of like, oh, the soon to be successful revival of blank. Oh yeah, well, uh-huh. you know, right? It didn't turn out that way, but it's funny. so you thought, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and all, and then the ads are great. You know, love seeing love seeing cigarette ads in my playbill, which you don't get anymore. Right, obviously. but throwback it, Thursday, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but it is like it it, it is especially with the website now, I mean, and like say you, the, the events yeah. that you guys put on, and obviously you were the executive producer of pride playbill pride this yes. year, which was a huge mm-hmm. thing. Yes. And we'll talk about that in a mm-hmm. second, but it is a, like, it is a journalistic marketing undertaking more than it is a, it's not a theater fanzine, you know, it, it's, it's not, a, <laughs> it is it's not. And it's also not just a program. It's a lot of things kind of all, all at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. I just, had this conversation yesterday with our CEO, you know, because he was kind of, he took us out to lunch and we were talking about Playbill, a little history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it only ever was a magazine. And then they saw an opportunity in the 90s to expand it and really turn it into a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the advent of Playbill.com. Um, there was a Playbill radio at one mm-hmm. point. Um, then we started Playbill Travel, and then the events business started taking off. So it's really grown into this brand that has many different tentacles. 
and it's exciting. It's exciting to see because we're not just a one trick pony anymore. You know, there's a lot of things that we could do that are customizable and it's all under a very, very recognized established name Mm -hmm. in the entertainment news community. Um, Very niche, very specific, obviously, but um, instantly recognizable to people, which is extremely important. You can't get that at, at other um, theatrical sites, that kind of prestige, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. Yeah. And I think, I mean, because you're also, you guys are the, you know, like Band-Aid, you're the ubiquitous term for, I mean, everybody calls the thing from the theater a playbill. That's just what you call it. Um, Mm -hmm. That usually means you're doing okay. I think the only business to have trouble with that is Skype, who got over, Uh got knocked out by Zoom. (laughs) Who knew that was going to happen? Like video call, everybody called video calling Skyping. And now that that went away. So, you know, (laughs) things are fleeting. But one one of the, I, I wanted to ask about, I, I do want to ask you about what kind of the director of events and creative strategy does mm-hmm. at Playbill and Pride specifically, because the pictures looked amazing, yes. Len, this year from, yes. from from Pride. It was it was a huge, huge thing. And I'm sure you're beyond proud and, and exhausted <laughs> from that experience. Both. Yeah. Yes. Um, you can be both at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Yes. Um, <laughs> but what what do you what kind of events and uh, are you are you often putting on at Playbill? you find yourself planning um so we do scalable events at playbill um so i am part of an executive producing team at playbill so we we have a team of people that is behind these large-scale endeavors um like when we did curtain up uh last fall we were celebrating broadway reopening it was a three-day event um and it required a lot of manpower um and concerts in times square Etc. And Pride this year followed a similar footprint. Mm. Um, we have a great relationship with the Times Square Alliance. Um, everybody there is really amazing, and they bend over backwards, kind of working alongside us to put these productions on because we couldn't do it mm. without them. Mm. I mean, permitting alone in Times yeah. Square, I, I I can't even tell you how much it costs because it's just insane. And they just help us navigate all of that and and we all work together to create these really amazing concerts and activations with our sponsors because you need sponsors to do everything yeah just you know you need the money yeah uh, to make it happen uh so we do about two things that size each year you know one for pride and then one in the fall to kind of celebrate the new season that's going to be kind of the plan moving forward but then uh I, I produce a lot of smaller things. I produce anywhere from client dinners for 25 people mm. where I am, you know, arranging dinners and then we have them see a show. They get a talk back with a cast, things like that. Um, everything is truly customizable. I've done events with a couple hundred people with a sponsor involved. Um, uh, we have a lot of automotive sponsors, believe it or not, at Playbill. It's a, hmm. it's a huge category for us. And uh, we, we do car related events all the time they sponsor quite a bit so um we're always kind of morphing Mm -hmm. you know uh, and coming up with with new ways to kind of keep things fresh we never want to repeat too much because then people get bored and then they just lose interest sure Mm-hmm. I'm imagining it's pretty. I mean, the the things that I've I've been impressed since I've since I've started doing the show and I've met you and I've met Logan and I've met other people who work at, at Playbill mm-hmm. is I'm very impressed by 
the constant looking to try new things and the constant promotion from within, which -hmm. always seems to me like two recipes for very successful organization, especially in theater. It is the, the, because while Playbill is not, like we say, not, it it is not a theatrical organization. It is a theatrical organization. You know, it's a magazine, but it's a magazine. Like it's incredibly niche market. Yes. And it, it is, to maintain, you have to be constantly kind of moving. And I think that's really, mm-hmm. it's a very impressive thing that the, the ability to keep moving in the midst of literally everything uh, True. that has been going on. And yeah, it, it, you guys do some, do some great and stuff. Especially during the pandemic, it was, it was really scary because mm-hmm. we, at least in my time there, we had never been in a situation like that where like, okay, Broadway is shutting down. Mm-hmm. All of the theaters that Playbill serves across the country are shutting down. And for the first time ever, we we literally stopped the presses. Mm-hmm. You know, we shut the presses down. And that was a very sad moment for us um, because the presses run constantly, mm-hmm. printing magazines, not for only New York, but for around the country. Right. Uh, so we really had to pivot i hate using that word but we really had to pivot and be like what are we going to do during this time we have all this time and that's when you know we really got into some funky things and we did some online events uh both small and large and and we just kind of tapped into that zoom universe and streaming universe because we had no choice um and i was very fortunate that playbill kept me on staff the entire time Mm -hmm. because they needed somebody to kind of help manage and oversee projects like that. I was extremely grateful, extremely grateful. So since you've at your time at Playbill, which you said has been about eight years. Yeah, it'll be eight years this uh, November. What have you discovered about theater that you really, really love that you didn't know before you started working there? Mm -hmm. What did I discover that I really love? Um, I discovered that I, I think before I really got into coming to New York and seeing theater regularly, you, you had in your mind that theater was one thing mm-hmm. and it was designed for one, dare I say, class or group of people mm-hmm. you know it was kind of an, an, an elite thing because it, it, it was pricey to go to the theater compared to going to see a movie obviously sure so there was a there was a different level there and i i think i i realized that they're they're working to make theater um more accessible um I've learned that not everything has to be on Broadway in order to be good, mm. um, which is is often the case. I, I see so many things that are just off Broadway or off off Broadway or or whatever that I just completely fall in love with. There, there's so much more to New York City theater specifically than the immediate Times Square area. You know, there, it's just I, I'm amazed by what people create. And, and I'm always surprised, surprised. Mm. And it's always a welcome surprise. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously love it because you're still there. So that's. that's I do. Cool. I do love it. And it's, uh, it's a very unique thing to 
to see theater when you're working at Playbill because you think that you would be just sick of it, you mm-hmm. know, because you're surrounded by it all day. You're surrounded by the press team and you're always talking about shows and you're always hearing this and that and cast changes and whatever. Um, but every season, I, I'm just as excited as the previous season to see new shows coming in. Oh, what's going into that theater? Um, you know, oh, there was a cast change. You know, it's just it's all very exciting stuff. It, it, as you as you talk about this, uh, it, 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 I, I think your choice of Sunset Boulevard draws into sharper focus for me because it kind of combines yeah. a lot of the, you know, movies and spectacle and mm-hmm. it's good theater. I mean, you know, like I because I, I could sit here all day and be snobby and rag about Andrew Lloyd Webber and his, you know, the fact that all his songs (laughs) sound the same and, and that, you know, the show won best score and best uh, book of a musical unopposed at the Tony Awards. And the only only musical it had to defeat for best musical was Smokey Joe's cafe, which I mean, yeah, you know, the less said, the better probably. And, (laughs) you know, Glenn Close was up against Rebecca Luker for showboat and there were no other nominees in the category. And like, so like it's, it, it, it won a lot of its accolades by default, certainly, Mm -hmm. but, but, so I could say that I'm not going to say all that stuff I just said, but it it is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's very mockable and he's very easy to mock, but like this show is good <laughs> like it is a solidly well-built show and i i completely agree yeah and i think that it really a pe- but it, it it has i think one of the reasons it's so good and one of the things that we lose in some of his other shows is it's how much it leans into the theatricality and the strangeness of it mm-hmm. Which Phantom does also. I mean, also Phantom does. I think Evita does, and Superstar does. Like they, 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 sh- they really lean into the bizarre. They don't shy away from the emotion in any way. Yeah. They really, really lean into that and don't try to be. I think they they do try to be a little self serious at, at at moments, but the general mood carries you through. You get through those sort of self serious moments because. In two minutes, Norma Desmond's going to be back on stage and God only knows what she's going to do. And I can't, <laughs> I absolutely can't wait to see it because it's, it's going to be worth watching. I don't know what it is. Yes. It's not yes. going to be, I, I can guarantee you two things. It's not going to be healthy and it's going to be fascinating. <laughs> yes. Fascinating is the key word. I, I want to ask, before I ask you sort of what your favorite song is from, from Sunset Boulevard. So I'll prep uh-huh. you for that question, but I want to ask you another question because you, you tipped something to my ear. So what's coming up in New York that you're excited to see? Um, well, Robbie and I were recently in London. Oh, right. Um, yes. And we saw a bunch of shows in the West End and one of them being Anne Juliet. Mm. And I didn't know much about it other than it was, you know, a lot of pop music. And I was like, oh, another show with pop music. And, mm. you know, I kind of went in and I was like, oh, I don't know what to expect. And it used pop music in a very clever way. It has a very smart book. And I think American audiences are going to eat it up. I mm. really do. Yeah. It's all Max Martin music, you know, mm-hmm. Britney and Backstreet Boys, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's in, Tor- I think it's in Toronto now, actually. Mm. Uh, the North American 
a version and it will be coming in in the fall. I think they just announced like a date in November. So I think that's very exciting. Um, I'm always curious to see what is going to transfer from the West End because mm-hmm. not everything that does well over there um, does well here. But I think the the score alone, using all of that music mm-hmm. um, in a very smart way, I think people uh, will fall in love with it. Um, there's a lot. I'm very intrigued by the 1776 that's coming mm-hmm. in with the all-female cast. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been on my radar. Uh, I'm wondering if other shows that have had out-of-town runs might be circling just because we will have vacant theaters. Uh, yeah, there's the Karate a f- Kid. Um, with Kate Baldwin, um, had a really great run in St. Louis. So I wonder if they'll um, try to fast track that for a theater. I know Back to the Future, which is also right. on the West End. They, I think they have a theater um, that will be coming in. Uh, they, they could give a production of Sunset Boulevard notes on how to do a car chase. Because <laughs> let me tell you, the star of Back to the Future is the DeLorean. Well, that's I, they, what they do with that car is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. All right. We've put it off long enough, Len. What is your favorite song from Sunset Boulevard? Um, God, it's. I thought this was going to be a hard one for you. It's very hard. It is. It, it is quite hard. I mean, if I had to pick one, um, I don't want to go with the obvious choice because um, I could easily pick as if we never say goodbye, but I honestly believe that with one look is probably my favorite song in mm-hmm. the show. Um, again, it's just kind of setting up the world, her world, um, kind of reliving her, her glory days in, in her mind and telling that story. I, I just think it's a really solid number. It I is. Really it is. It is an excellent you know, it's not an I want number. It's an I am number. Mm-hmm. We are we are hearing yes. who Norma. We, it is a little bit of an I want number because she's laying out what she's going to do going forward. But it sure is much more like and I like the. What will become her lasting metaphor that it's all mm-hmm. in her eyes. Everything is in her eyes and she doesn't need to talk. And uh, it is. Yeah, I think it's a great statement of character. It really lets you know who she is. Because that song is strong but sad and uh, mm-hmm. really gets you rolling. I like as if we never said goodbye. I think I've heard it too much. You know what I mean? Like I, it, I it, have it, to agree with you. Yes. The whispered conversations in overcrowded walls. The atmosphere as thrilling as always. We did sing it in mixed chorus for like three years in high school um, yep. in a very nice choral arrangement, but still like, I've, you know, it, it's it, we, we can move on from from that. <laughs> uh, Len, thank you so much. This was so this was so wonderful to, to talk to I you love it. as always. What yes, um, where can people find you on the Internet if they want to go looking? Um, you could find me on the Internet. I am uh, at Len Redino. 
uh, on Instagram and Twitter. I really don't tweet though. So it's very boring on my Twitter. I'm sorry. I tweet like maybe once a year. Uh, my Instagram is, is fun. I, I share dog photos and, and photos of John Hamm. Um, on my Instagram. I know we didn't talk at all about John Hamm. This is Um, John Hamm. Where's John Hamm? Joe Gillis. There you go. There you go. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to direct it somewhere. Um, So yeah, my Instagram, you can find me on Instagram. If you're, you really are interested in my various Playbill covers on my grid. That's where you can see them. (laughs) Great. Len, thank you so much. Thank you. This was wonderful. I can break your heart With one look I play every part I can make your sad heart sing With one look you'll know All you need to know With one smile I'm the girl next door For the You've hungered for When I speak it with my soul I can play any role The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for t-shirts, tote bags, magnets, and more. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Len Rodino for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Silent music starts to with one look you'll know all you need to know With one look I'll invite a place I'll return to my glory days But they'll say no back at last This time I'm staying, I'm staying for good I'll be back where I was born to